dumbest film theory I've ever come across is that Fight Club is Calvin and Hobbes grown up. <sighs> Have you heard that one? <laughs> I heard that it also takes place in the Marvel universe, which is in a in a bubble in Men in Black, which was, of course, as we all know, written as a false written flag by <laughs> Pixar. Yeah. <laughs> Pixar's false flag movies. Watch Coco in theaters later this year from Pixar. Should we watch Coco? Is that movie supposed to be any good? Yeah, it's Pixar. It's Pixar doing it's a It's Disney movie. Pixar though. Aren't aren't Disney aren't Disney Pixar? It's ones been not... Disney Pixar since two thousand and six. Alright, that's that's an excellent point you make. Yeah, and Disney's been distributing their movies since Toy Story. <laughs> that's also Disney true. has been an integral part of Pixar. Hey. Brave was just kind of shitty, and John Lasseter, who's the head of Pixar, is the only reason they keep making Cars movies because he just loves Cars. That's the only, and because it's their most merchandisable because they make the most toys out of it. But it's mostly because John Lasseter is just like, vroom, vroom, baby! And they're like, John, we have, we're in a meeting. So before we get into what this podcast is actually about, I feel like I should apologize because I'm very sleepy. I'm a very sleepy boy. So if I'm, if I'm a little low energy, if I'm a little off this cast, uh, I apologize. I'll have to just take the mantle of being the energetic one. And as we all know, that is not possible. I am a stoic, calm tortoise of a man named Liam Sr. And I like to talk about movies and TV on this podcast where we tell stories. <laughs> Excellent segue, Liam. My name is Tom Lockney. I really like video games and internet. You like video games. You tolerate the internet. Yeah. We need to start, like... It's 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 just for the show, but I, I want it to be known that like we hate the internet. It's really bad. It's part of the reason I'm so physically and emotionally drained right now. Uh, but every week we tell each other stories from our respective mediums centered around a theme. And this week, and the then theme you guys listen in, bunch of fucking creepers. Was ripoffs <sighs> like a bandaid. Chapter one. Oh, Tom's going first. Hushed Mountain. In March of 96, Capcom releases a bold new game. A bold new flavor called Mega Man. Resident Evil. Hey, Liam, we're each going to do our best uh, Resident Evil opening menu. Scary voice man says Resident Evil. You go first. Resident Evil. No, no, it's more. One, I, I, mm, so I, you want more like the spooky, somber reboot? Yeah. I'm going to go like go OG full go camp. OG. Yeah, 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 like. Resident Evil. Nice. There we go. I went for a more atmospheric one. I've only played Resident Evil's 4 and 7. The game takes place in a mysterious mansion in the forested outskirts of Raccoon City as an elite team of special forces respond to reports of mysterious goings-on in the area around the mansion. When they arrive, they discover that they could have never prepared for the horrors within. Zombies, zombie dogs, zombie snakes, zombie sharks, and of course, zombie zombies. That's what the, like, the Titan is, it's yeah. just a zombie zombie. It uses a combination of 3D models and pre-rendered backgrounds to achieve a level of graphical fidelity that was until then unprecedented in the console market. Uh, do, do you know what I mean when I say like 3D models and the, the backgrounds and why that's important? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Basically like they would put very nice pictures to, to make the rooms look very real or as, as real as they could. And then they would have like the lower poly PlayStation 1 models, models of, of characters running around, shooting each other, zombies, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Yeah. 
It is a smash hit, remaining one of Capcom's most popular and lucrative multimedia franchises. This game was so big and important that we got 26, soon to be 27 games out of it, six live action movies, four digitally animated films, merchandise, comic book, novels, and a turtle dove, and even a themed restaurant in Japan. You forgot to say six movies with a seventh on the way. Oh yeah, that's right, because they're, they're making out. another one. Jesus Christ. It is weird, though, that we don't talk about how huge it is. It's bigger than... Call of Duty doesn't have a movie. World of Warcraft just got one. Like, it is it is weird how... Does Call of Duty this... even have 26 video games? <laughs> They're getting there. They're getting there, but I'm, like, I'm just saying, like... And yeah. it doesn't look like Resident Evil's gonna stop making games no. anytime soon. And, and the other thing, too, is that most of them are pretty good. A lot of, like, there's... One of them is considered to be one of the greatest games ever made. Time, yeah. Like, it defines the survival horror genre well into the 2000s and spawns dozens upon dozens of imitators. Galarians, Obscure, Dino Crisis, Parasite Eve, Overblood, Blue Stinger, to oh, name a few. Me, yes. Dino Crisis? Dino Crisis. Dinosaurs? Dinosaur Crisis. Dinosaur Zombies? Uh, Yes. No, no. I think there are robot dinosaurs in a okay. in a sequel, though. Okay. You probably don't recognize a lot of those names, and to be honest, it's because a lot of these games were pale, sloppy, if not occasionally charming works. Listeners oh, will pale, notice. Pale, sloppy, occasionally charming. That's also the description for the co-host of this podcast, Liam Senior. How you doing, everybody? I'm <laughs> not single. <laughs> I'm not. It's true. It's true. <laughs> You're forbidden fruit. <laughs> You're the forbidden fruit. Don't, Every single one of our snake, listeners wants to have sex with Liam If Liam's a snake senior. tells you to bite me, fucking don't listen to him. Oh, it's the it's devil. so tantalizing. You're just out of reach. Like the, just the out of Like reach. Sisyphus's pear and water above head and below neck. Sisyphus pushes the boulder up. Who was the guy in, in between the water and the pear? I know who you're talking about, but I, uh, his name has been lost at the sands of time. We'll call him Sisyphus 2, the sequel. <laughs> Sisyphus. Chrysiphus. Sisyphus. Sisyphus. <laughs> Is that when you constantly fist someone's butt? What a gross podcast this can be. Listeners will notice, however, that there is one name on that list that I left out, but you'll have to wait if you want to hear me say it. Mario Party 4. When I when I wrote that down, I didn't realize how weird that sounded, and then I said it out loud, and halfway through, I realized how weird that was. Oh, <laughs> like I'm trying to do edging or something. Oh. Podcastial edging, <laughs> aka serial. Chapter two: Quiet Incline. Hush Mountain, Quiet Incline. I see where we're going with this. Five months after the release of Resident Evil, Konami rounds up its baddest developers. <laughs> wait, wait, like cool bad, like Michael Jackson. Ba well, hold on, that's changed. Like, cool, bad? I don't know. You can think of them as uh, some like sort of, like, boys. Suicide Squad. <laughs> so, again, like, that used to be a cool thing, and then they made the movie, and now that is unequivocally not a cool thing. This is a team staffed... Speaking, speaking of super cool things, this is a team staffed entirely by people who worked on failed projects and who all wanted to leave Konami because Konami forbade them from expressing their creativity to its fullest potential. So this is essentially a suicide squad. 
They sit this team of forced failures and rejects down, and they tell them the following. One, we want to make Cut a, a hole game. in the box. <laughs> One, we want to make a game that'll sell gangbusters in the West. Two, what's Western entertainment defined by right now? Hollywood. It's the 90s, baby. And all them Americans love movies. This game's got to be like that. It has to capture that Hollywood-like atmosphere. And three, hey, Capcom, another Japanese company, just did what we want to do really well with this groundbreaking new game called Resident Evil. Do you think you could copy that format for us? Do you think you could make one of these Resident Evil clones that we're seeing? This sort of this sort of thing, this sort of like, oh, we're going to copy this good idea happens all the time in game dev. It's fine. A game comes out that pushes the boundaries of game structure in interesting ways and other companies follow suit. We got good games out of that. Yeah. We got a big mascot platforming boom after Mario. Every FPS after Call of Duty Modern Warfare had level-up systems in the multiplayer. We, I mean, we just talked about loot boxes and how they blew up the other week. Uh, you, you can watch Dragon Age and, and, by extension, Mass Effect, specifically Mass Effect Andromeda, get more uh, witchery as time goes on after The Witcher 2 is released. Because The Witcher 2 just like nailed open-world fantasy in a way that Dragon Age struggled with. So th this, this happens a lot in games, these ripoffs. They're not necessarily a bad thing. This ragtag team of Konami punks is thereafter referred to as Team Silent. And they still don't like this. No. They very expressly do not want to be working on this game. Wait a minute, you're kidding me. <laughs> I, I just figured it out. I, I'm not gonna say it, but Hush Mountain, Team Silent. I know where we're going with this. Mm -hmm. Quiet Incline. That's so... Okay, keep going, going. Yeah. Given the vague, abstract parameters of the project, and given Konami's strangling influence, the team simply does not know how to approach making this game. It's it's a hard task. That's a that's a really whack assignment. Hey, of make tasks it like a survival horror game that's like Resident Evil, but also make it like Hollywood and make it quick. We need it like yesterday. Yeah. Konami quickly loses faith and tells them, hey, whatever, just finish it. They just want this thing out the door so they can recoup some of their investment, even if the game's not great. As such, they step back from the project and redirect focus onto other projects that they deem more important, which means that the lens is now no longer directly shining down on Team Silent. And we all know when Konami's away, Team Silent will play. Mm. The game Konami wanted them to make, they don't want to do that, so they don't. They're not looking to make some fleeting cash cow, some low effort hyper meant to capitalize on the survival horror boom. No. They want to do another thing. They want to make a work that's going to last and be remembered and ideally move the medium forward. Maybe a movie written by, I don't know, the guy who co-wrote Pulp Fiction. They decide to ignore Konami, and rather than go for a Hollywood feel, they choose right. something a little more sedate. The creative director for Team Silent, Kiichiro Toyama, comes up with the concept. Influenced by his interest in UFOs and David Lynch films, he imagines a small, mysterious town, a lakeside vacation destination, coated in a mysterious, sinister fog. Enemies of unknown origin lurk in the misted shadows of the town streets, watching, waiting, and hunting. Team Silent wished to prey on the mind, to embrace the unknown, and use it as a tool to disorient and frighten players. Utilizing the creative freedom afforded to them, they put together 
one of the most iconic survival horror games of all time, Chapter 3. Silent Hill. Silent Hill. Awesome. In 1999, the video game Silent Hill by Team Silent hits shelves to the joy of PlayStation 1 owners everywhere. They picked up their controllers and became Harry Mason, a man whose daughter mysteriously disappears in a car crash outside a foggy town called Silent Hill. The game was a critical and a commercial hit, still holding an 86 on Metacritic. It's an interesting game to read reviews of. You can see that these writers understand that this game is good, fresh, and different, that it's more than just a Resident Evil clone, but they don't quite see that, they're, that they've just played the catalyst for a massive shift in the way horror games are made and thought of. Mm -hmm. Though Silent Hill plays like Resident Evil and even shares some kind of visual similarities, its earnest cerebral treatment of the survival horror genre was heretofore more or less unseen. Video game voice acting at this time was still pretty much just the developers sitting in a recording booth, and those out there legitimately voice acting for video games were both rare and inconsistent. This was also an extremely low poly era where we weren't really in like the uncanny valley, we were like in the uncanny sinkhole. So it was really hard. People were scared to tell earnest, serious stories because they thought that. Uh, people playing them wouldn't be able to take it seriously because it's like, oh, this this voice acting is bad because yeah. the voice acting was so directed so terribly at the time. And, and, oh, like, our game doesn't look like people yet, so we can't really tell a real story. And Team Silent kind of proved that wrong, you know? It was simply a matter of confidence. Though still legitimately frightening, most horror games chose the safety of embracing the camp rather than risking it on low-fidelity technology. I mean, like... If you and, and and they were kind of right too. If you think from that era, a lot of the stuff that we thought of as like quote unquote good game storytelling had mostly to do with the fact that it looked and moved closer to real life than other game stuff. Like Final Fantasy VII is not a great story, but we remember that because we were like, wow, it was so real to me. I don't remember any of the Final Fantasies. <laughs> Doesn't sound like a Final Fantasy. There's like 38 games. Oh boy. That joke is older than time itself. Team Silent took a risk and it paid off. Everyone couldn't get enough of this brooding, satanic, psychological story. Despite its silly voice acting and rudimentary graphical quality, the public engaged with Silent Hill on its terms, and it made the games industry realize that you could tell these stories. Silent Hill, this weird Resident Evil clone that's not really a Resident Evil clone made on a shoestring budget by people whose uniting common trait was failure in game dev, working for one of the most creatively suffocating hostile publishers in the industry becomes one of the most important horror games of all time. Without Silent Hill, I don't think we get games like uh, Call of Cthulhu Dark Corners of the Earth in 2005, which means that we don't get Penumbra Overturn 2007, which means that we don't get Amnesia The Dark Descent in 2010, which means that we don't get the entire style of game design based around scream casting streamers that's emerged and surged in popularity over the last seven years. And that's just one thread. There, there without are them, we can save the presidency. <laughs> There's a hundred million little ways this game seeped in and out of and back into games culture. I, I can't overstate how much this game has its tendrils in the things that we play today. A brief epilogue. Silent Hill brought Konami the big bucks, so with renewed focus, Konami requests that Team Silent keep making more. They say sure, and they do. Uh, unfortunately, when one dines with the devil, there inevitably comes a knight, 
where their name appears on the menu. After the release of Silent Hill 4, Konami unceremoniously disbands Team Silent, desiring new talent for the meat grinder. They immediately give the series over to Climax Studios in the United Kingdom. It seems Konami still wanted that Western style of game after all. Each entry in the series since has been more or less terrible, with the exceptions of Silent Hill Shattered Memories Woo! and, of course, PT, the playable prequel to a reboot titled Silent Hills. They say history repeats itself, but if you ask me, it only ever really seems like the people in power do. Uh, because we are not getting Silent Hills. No, we're not. Konami infamously cans the project, and it seems as though Silent Hill may be no more. There's been talk of former members of Team Silent being open not only to a reunion, but a continuation of Silent Hill under this reformed group. This is, of course, all a pipe dream, but a pleasant one nonetheless. And that is my story of Silent Hill, the little ripoff that could. That was a great story, man. Thanks. It's really cool. It's really I interesting. I knew that, that it was a little Resident Evil clone. That just... It's... It's the, there is no reality in which Silent Hill should be as good as it is. It defies logic. And it and it's so fucking good. Speaking of defying Ugh. logic, I've got a story for you. But first, we're going to take a quick break and hear about another show on the network. Hello, listener. Do you like a scare, a jump, a fright? How about Maine? How do you feel about... Maine. If any of those words made your heart skip a beat, then I've got a podcast for you. King Me is a monthly Stephen King podcast where I, Tom Lockney, and a guest watch through a theatrical adaption of a work by everyone's favorite Northeastern author and talk about it with a little help from the source material. So, if you're feeling particularly brave, join me on my descent into terror on the Major Casts Network, or wherever you find podcasts. And we're back, and here we go. So Steven Spielberg is maybe the most important pop director of the 20th century. I would even argue that he's, like, the most important director of the 20th century. Uh, he created the summer blockbuster with a little movie called Jaws, which if you haven't It's seen, about a guy with a huge mouth. I mean... There was a Bond villain named Jaws who had a huge mouth and metal teeth, so you're not true. that wrong. He also had big old arms. Mm -hmm. He brought CGI to general attention with Jurassic Park, and that same year also found time to make a sad three-hour movie about the Holocaust. <laughs> so, like, how did he do that? Magic? Maybe. And then there's E.T., the extraterrestrial. The kids' adventure movie that created the blueprint for any type of kids' adventure movie. Released in 82, E.T. was a smash hit. It was the highest grossing film until a little movie called Jurassic Park came out like 11 years later. That must be weird to like outdo yourself in terms of how many millions of dollars your art makes. That's that's very strange. Honestly, I don't think he gives a shit anymore because he just makes like 8,000 movies a year now and they're all terrible. They're all so, so bad. bad now. It's the worst. Um it was actually based on Spielberg's imaginary friend he made when his parents divorced, so it was also a personal movie for him. Uh, tons of studios passed on it because they thought it was like this wimpy little Disney ripoff. Um, and but when they did finally get it made, Mars refused to let them use M&M candies because they thought it would scare kids, so they used Reese's Pieces instead. Skyrockets in Reese's profits. 
Uh, E.T.'s face was also inspired by Albert Einstein and Ernest Hemingway. Interesting. My favorite kid icons that kids love. (laughs) The major voice work for E.T. was performed by Pat Welsh. She smoked two packs of cigarettes a day to give her, like, you know, gravelly Wait, okay, so are you saying that she didn't do that normally, that for the role she smoked two packs of cigarettes a day? I couldn't find out whether that was true, but it looked like for the role she smoked two packs of cigarettes a day. So method. The 80s. Oh no, she was a smoker because she only she did her entire part in nine and a half hours. She like recorded all her lines in nine and a half hours hmm. for Wilhelm Scream user Ben Burt from that episode. Hmm. He also recorded sixteen other people and various animals to create ET's voice, including Spielberg, actress Deborah Winger, Ben Burt's sleeping wife, who had a cold at the time, so her snores were very loud, <laughs> a burp from his USC film professor, raccoons, otters, and horses. And of course, a, a turtle dove. wet towel slapping watermelon meat. <laughs> sure. E.T. also gave Spielberg the confidence to pursue fatherhood. He was sort of on the fence about it. And then working with these young cast, he realized that he this was something that he wanted. Um, they even shot the film in like a rough chronological order. Normally films do not shoot like that because it's like a horrible use of money. But he wanted to get, like, the most emotional performances for when E.T. leaves. And if they, like, spend the whole movie making it and then film that at the end, it would, yeah. That makes sense. Um, there were plans for a sequel, but then Spielberg was like, nah, I nailed it the first time. And that's the end of the story. Aww. No, it <laughs> isn't. So you got me. for every incredible game-changing popular movie that comes out, uh, like Sharks to Chum come the greedy producers <laughs> trying to make a quick buck off of someone's hard work. So today we'll be looking at my three personal favorite E.T. ripoffs, because there's a lot in a story I call 3T, Weed, Money, and Pussy. Part one, Weed. Eco, Eco, not so fast. I love it, Mookie. What's down there? Two space travelers. Eco, no! Are separated. I don't know if I find out to do this is the most boring thing I've ever seen in my life. One is recovered. I want this creature alive. The other must find his way on a strange planet. Okay, cool. There's some racism. Yep. Wow. Holy yep. shit, that's some racism. Oh, no. And finding two friends along the way. How awful he looks. Like, as he character. looks like a little. He, he looks does. like a stocky Dobby. So what we're watching is a trailer for a South African film called Nuki. Uh, that is a huge ET ripoff and also a white savior narrative somehow. It is. Oh actually, my god, they're so they're scary so looking. Grim looking. They're so scary looking. They're incredibly grim looking. And it's called Nuki. That was terrifying. That got that was very boring and then I got very scary and I do not like that arc, Liam. You know that about me. I gotcha. <laughs> so yeah, Nuki can talk to animals. His costume is super creepy. Every moment is horrifyingly awful. Uh, it is a bad and ugly movie. Does he eat any kids? No. Really? Because those teeth were very jagged. No, he's just like a very nice guy trying to find his brother, Miko. Oh man, guess he must have had a good old-fashioned case of golem throat. But don't worry, uh, when they're finally reunited, they turn back into lights and fly up into space with their new friend, Charlie the Chimpanzee, played by Charlie the Chimpanzee, who okay. went uncredited in the movie, which I thought was a crime. Part two, money. 
producer R.J. Lewis wanted to do something special for the kids, for the children. Mm -hmm. And what was that, Liam? See, uh, Louis was riding high after his movie The Karate Kid was the fifth highest grossing movie of 84 and spawned a sequel two years later. But the producer wanted to give back, specifically to benefit people with disabilities and charities close to his heart. Uh, By the mid-80s, Ronald McDonald was the most famous person in the world, even more famous than Santa Claus. Steven Spielberg's E.T. was a close second. So Louis was like, I can combine those two things together. Why Why would you do that, though? And make a little movie that I will call Mac and Me. Art, wait. About Mac. Mac. Mysterious alien creature. It is also kind of a giant long product placement for McDonald. Is the alien Ronald McDonald or does no. Ronald McDonald meet an alien? Just listen. So Louis spent three years bargaining for the movie and television rights to the McDonald's brand. He extolled his vision for Mac and Me to anyone and everyone at the company. So he basically just went around being like, listen, we're going to make this thing called Mac and Me. We can put a cardboard Mac in every single McDonald's. Like, I want to add to the McDonald's mythology with this E.T. ripoff. You know, I think if Ronald McDonald met an alien, he wouldn't be able to tell it was an alien because then he'd be like, oh, hey, like, you you got like a huge hand. That's not what the movie's about. A huge blue hand. Come hang out with my bud Grimace. Um... Grimace is a <laughs> yeah, big old purple lump. He'll get on famously. So this was actually the first movie that McDonald's kind of made like a special deal with. And that's how Grimace met his husband. Yeah. He got the movie th- funded through a company called Golden State Foods, which was one of McDonald's beef, ketchup, lettuce, and Big Mac sauce distributors. I just like the phrase beef distributor. Mm-hmm. Or, or do you want better? Sauce distributor. Gross. <laughs> Stuart Raffle had experience with low-budget genre movies, finding success in the early 80s with a Star Wars ripoff called Ice Pirates that Ron Perlman is in. I cannot recommend it enough. Is he an ice pirate, or does he fight them? He is one of the ice pirates. Excellent. It's set in space. Cool. Louis eyed Raffle because he could deal with children, he could deal with animals, so he fit the persona I needed for a director. They were also basically trying to make the movie to promote all the McDonald's charity work, but Mm -hmm. like... That kind of didn't really happen. When I Googled uh, Stephen Raphael, the only thing I could find was his website uh, where he's promoting a book called Rage, where the tagline is, say goodbye to political correctness. So, oh, uh-oh. golly gosh. So at, at the point of hiring Raphael, no script had been written yet. There were a lot of differences, though, between E.T. and Mac and Me, and Louis went out of his way to make sure that was true. Mac had like special talents that E.T. couldn't do. For example, Mac could ride a bike. He could turn into a sentient glob of gack on a windshield. They even brought in Kathleen Kennedy, who produced E.T., to look at Mac designs to make sure it was all good to go. So he's more like a turbo teen alien. Sort of. A turbo teen alien. So McDonald's only offered like a few notes on the script. but one More note, burgers. But one note was more sauce. Ronald McDonald should not appear on screen. But he did. Aww. <laughs> Oh, Mac also has a family of aliens that you, we meet at the end because they get citizenship to be on Earth. So Mac and Me features 99 minutes of a family squabble, uh, squabbling over what to do with an alien. Uh, there's FBI agents, and then basically hugs, smiles, and friendships save the day. But anyone watching the movie can only tell you about two scenes now because two scenes have, have basically stood the test of time. Okay. Infamous wheelchair scene is the title. Well, they casted casted a real child who needed a wheelchair for the lead. Okay. Oh, no, he's rolling down a hill. 
This took them a really long time to shoot because it was very hard to make sure everything went copacetic. Oh, his brakes are dead. His brakes have just uh, ruptured. Oh my god. He fell into a lake. Don't worry. Oh my god! Yep. He emerged out from yeah. below the frame like a yeah. fucking horror movie villain. Yeah. Get out that dark water. <laughs> glass shark go come. Not glass shark. It's it's like your, <laughs> Not your glass scrotum shark. That came meet Davi. Meet meet little Freddy Krueger. God, that little alien Dobby thing looks like it's made out of cold cuts of ham. Yeah, and he saved him. What is it? Got so, big ol' eyes, Fun too. fact about that, whenever Paul Rudd would go on Conan's Tonight Show, he would say, Conan would be like, oh, you have a clip from your new movie, and Rob would be like, oh, yeah, let's let's go through it. And it's just, he would just always play that <laughs> scene every single time. That's very funny. And then this is the other scene. Full, ooh, full McDonald's dance scene. I like this jam. It's pretty groovy. Oh, dude, you have no idea where this is coming. This is just a little fun little dance party for you, me, and the listener. This is this is in the movie. This is a scene in the motion picture. Two men in a car. I'm one of them. Those are the FBI agents. One of them looks like Donald Trump, and I hate him. Don't like him. I want him to trip. Okay, we just saw Ronald McDonald. The, the thing one person that, they asked the not to be thing. on screen. I mean, like knows. Oh, they're just Mac, in a McDonald's. Mac is in that teddy bear costume. Mac is in a teddy bear costume, and it looks and horrifying. It's horrible. It's like he's wearing its skin. Yeah, he looks like a, a Five Nights at Freddy's <laughs> animatronic. He looks like Leatherface for teddy bears. Yeah, he looks like uh, uh, Teddy Ruxpin meets Leatherface. Oh, Jesus Christ. Oh, my God. His arms stretched out and stole a kid's drink. It's an extremely they put an rude end to that alien. shit. Is there any alien slime in this movie? This oh, yeah. feels oh, excellent. I love alien slime. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just bathe in buckets of this stuff. And it's why my skin is so taut. Wait, yeah, wait. Yeah, yeah, those were professional football players in the background. What's going on? It's okay, everybody thinks it's just a toy. Ugh. Hi, Michael. The thing I was telling you about is in the teddy suit. Oh, no way. Why did they get... I don't know. The Washington, D.C. football team, whose name I refuse to say. Think it's a teddy. Oh man, I love like an impromptu flash dance in a McDonald's. The football players yeah. are fucking dancing and frankly, they're killing it. I don't think those are the real Washington football I do. team. I do, I believe it with all my God, heart. It does look like Donald Trump. RG3, great quarterback, little known fact, also fantastic dancer. All right, are we, are we really still watching this? Is there gonna oh, be yeah. a payoff? Why is, uh... Oh, the teddy bear is now dancing He's on He's gonna the... break dance. Yeah. What the fuck? He looks, he looks like, 
Vincent D'Onofrio in, in Men, Men in Black. Black. Yeah. Like, he's going to ask one of these Mickey D's employees for some sugar water. So, yeah, that's it. Guess what the next movie to do a deal with McDonald's was? Guess what the next movie that made a deal with McDonald's was? It was um, Mulan. The yeah, next oh. thing they did after Mac and Me was the fucking Szechuan sauce. Yo, where the fuck are my Pennywise Happy Meal toys? Seriously. Where's that crossover? So, yeah, we just watched a bunch of random shit that happened in a McDonald's that someone thought could appropriately go in a movie. Ready for this? You Both the director it. and Louis said they didn't want this, this scene to feature a gregarious amount of product placement. Really? Yeah. They thought they shot that without, uh, without like a gregarious amount of product placement. They and were it's like my guys, in the McDonald's. Ronald McDonald is see, in the shots. I could see the golden arches on the window the whole time. Anyways, the he stole a soda drink <laughs> that was a McDonald's branded yeah. cup. Yeah, 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 yeah. He dances with McDonald's employees. He dances with McDonald's employees in uniform, yeah. and then the Washington D.C. football team is there for some fucking reason. So they're getting. Two franchises in one! Uh, anyways, the movie completely bombed. Yeah, I would imagine. Uh, people saw it as both a really poorly done E.T. ripoff with a horrible looking puppet and a very blatant cash grab. Audiences didn't love just sitting and watching a dance segment that had no plot or anything or good choreography or anything of value. They didn't like that. However, the director and producer thought that they were like talking about charity and they were like, no one cared that we casted a like disabled actor as the lead and it's like you did that on purpose you were being exploitive not progressive <laughs> uh but who's right i'll let you decide the critics were right louis still thinks there's hope for some form of a mac and me sequel but i'll bet you a pack of szechuan sauce that there won't be <laughs> and part three yep what's P it pussy uh-huh. Mm -hmm. So we're going to have an upcoming episode be all about porn parodies. Oh, Specifically, episode 69 will be all about porn parodies. So look out for that. But this needs to be discussed. There are ET porn parodies. Plural. Plural. We won't be talking Parodies nuts. Parodies nuts. <laughs> We won't be discussing the 2013 parody where a dude in a really crummy green ET suit gets a, his green penis blown by some uh, girl and it's horrible. No, no, no. We're going to talk about the 1996 German film, ET Porn Home, or ET and the Vagina. <laughs> <laughs> just that, huh? The just that. So what gender do you think ET is in this porn? E.T. is a woman in a full E.T., crotchless E.T. costume, complete with mask and everything. It's set in Victorian London. Why? And and basically is E.T. learning about sex while getting railed by two German dudes and a German woman in one weird lesbian E.T. scene. What is the... Hmm? Yes, what, what's... So it's an original story. Does it... Payo, this is a weird question. E Does it pay homage to the original film? Probably not. <laughs> it's a German-made porn film. Only about that e. part. Only although Tom. that part where E.T. had sex with two huge German men in the E.T. movie. That part. Did we all remember that classic scene. But yeah, where it a is bunch a, of Germans run a train on E.T. It's a German porn film set in Victorian London 
about American 80s alien E.T. learning and getting fucked. It is a near-perfect parody, to say the <laughs> least. So honestly, out of all those, I probably want... Uh, if you had to watch any of those three movies, Nuki, Mac and Me, or E.T. and the Vagina, which one would you choose? Just one. I mean, like, there's a decent chance that E.T. in the vagina is like 30 minutes. You have to pick that one. That's the thing. It's It's like, it's the most strategic one. And can I say, having watched not. Oh, no. Please don't say what I think you're about to say. Having watched clips of all three. Okay. It's the best costume. It's the best (laughs) E.T. costume out of all of them. Like, it's the one that closest uh-huh. resembles E.T. Uh-huh. That's all I have to say about that. It's horrifying. Did you like that movie, Liam? No, it was bad. I've actually, I knew about the E.T. porno, like, back in uh, high school. Because one of the film critic people I watched uh, has talked about it before. So I was well aware that cool. there was an E.T. porn Healthy, parody. healthy cultural upbringing, mm-hmm. I see. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's it. All right. This is the end of my was, rip-off story. That was fun. Man, that's weird. That's weird that they took a kid's movie thing and we're like, we're going to fuck it. Yeah. All right. So sometimes on this show, we talk about Liam we end really upsets me. Yeah, that was awesome. Liam gets into my bones. And not in the not in the kind of way that happens in E.T. fucks Paris. No. Or- E.T. in uh, e. e. the vagina. Or E.T. and the vagina. They couldn't decide on a title. So sometimes we like to balance that out by talking about something nice that happened in our weeks in our lives. Well, I know what we're both going to say. It's called the self-care corner, and it's really great, and I love it. Mm-hmm. What I are think you we say? both have the same self-care corner. We threw an awesome Halloween party over the weekend. You fucking better believe it. Yeah, a lot of, yeah, that, that Halloween party was very good. Yeah. We had a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. It was, yeah, it was very nice. Shout out to our friends who came. Yeah. Yeah, great. Do plugs. I'm tired. Go to our Twitter at Media Majors Cast. This was a Twitter. mistake. Check us out on Twitter. <laughs> Go to our website. Check out the website. We have a new show called King Me. Tom Lockney hosts it. I do. It's about Stephen King. It's a lot it of fun. Uh, Eric and I are doing a new show called Sunday Morning Hangover Care that will be coming out probably towards the end of the month. Um, it will be uh, a weekly show as Shimanime will be moving to a much slower schedule. And uh, yeah, listen to Filmographers and Musty TV yep. and make sh- and Big Time Whipsy and read I, us and review us and all that jazz. Yeah, I, I also have a tiny little personal plug. I re- finally found the time to write about uh, one of the best games of the year. It's a little indie title called The Sexy Brutal. It's a really good uh, Agatha Christie sort of like murder mystery where you have time powers and have to save all of your friends and it's really really good and charming and i wrote about it and it's it's been received well yeah the creators of the game gave you a shout out yeah this is true you can find it on my website nakedcriticism.com the piece is called the pacifist power fantasy of the sexy brutal or boy that brutal sure was sexy Everybody, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Sleepy Boys. Of Sleepy Boys Sleep Well. You can find literally all of the movies I talked about on the internet so quickly. Cool. It, no, not cool. Not Bad. Cool. They should all be destroyed. Aww. Anyways. We'll, we'll be, be there, there for you. you. <laughs>
Thanks for listening to the Major Casts Network. Stay fun, stay nasty, and stay major. <laughs>